The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. The show is presented by, as always, Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com if you need new windows. Tommy's prediction on Washington-Philadelphia coming up. We'll do some You Heard It Here first. We'll get a prediction from Tommy on the World Series, uh, which starts tomorrow night as well. The Wizards opened up their season last night. Uh, They gave up 143 points to the Indiana Pacers last night. Did you watch any of it? I'm assuming you Kevin? Yeah. Kevin? Like an idiot, I watched the whole thing. (laughs) You know, I said, you know, I, 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 I mean, and I said to myself, Jesus is still the friggin' NBA, and it's still the friggin' Wizards. Oh, my God. But this is what they're going to be this year, Tommy. They're not, you know, they're not trying to win a lot of games. I mean, I the know, players but, but are see, and the coaches are, but listen, the, yeah. Okay, I know that. The players are, the coaches are. They added, I mean, Wes Unseld is not an NBA head coach. Okay, let's make that clear. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and uh, in order to help him, they added two extra assistant coaches to his staff. This right, year. right. But, okay, like Tom Thibodeau in New York, he has four assistant coaches. Yeah. Wes Unseld has six. Okay. Is that is that true? That that Tib- Thibodeau's yes. only got. I, I didn't realize that. Yes. Yeah, that's I know. True. My, they, they and, are, yeah. and and at the at one point late in the game, according to the sideline reporter, God bless her, I don't remember her name. Megan. Uh, um, Megan. Wes McKeon. is telling his his players, "There's still something to play for. Don't you know? Don't stop playing. It's the first game of the season, mm-hmm. and he's pleading with them to play." Can I just tell you that early in the game, watching the first quarter, I almost, and I'm so glad I didn't because it would not have aged well, uh, (laughs) I almost tweeted out, the Wizards could have easily scored 50 in the first quarter. They scored 39, but man, they are going to be a difficult team at times to guard this year, which actually may be true. That may be true. Um, They'll put up some points. Because they can because really. Jordan yeah. Poole can play better than that. Oh, he, I, think. I, I thought he was awful last night. I thought yeah, he was terrible he last play, night. 
Yeah, he can play better than that. So he can. Yeah, they can score some points. Kuzma's the guy that I really think continues to grow as a player. And there are a couple of things, real quickly. We, I promise you, people, don't turn yet. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna get away from this sack talk coming up. Who's at fault for all of the sacks? That's coming up. But um, uh, I I th- I really do like Kyle Kuzma as a player. I think he continues to grow as a player. Uh, I, th- I like him too. I, I think Avdia continues to grow as a player. Um, Pool was disappointing night, last though. night. Kispert was really disappointing. My God, he's supposed to be a drop dead, you know, feet set three point shooter. There were a I couple know. of them that didn't even hit the rim. Um, here's the thing that drives me nuts in watching the Wizards, and it's driven me nuts now for years over several coaches or a couple of coaches anyway, going back to Randy Whitman, who actually knew what he was doing as a head coach. Uh, yeah. They just don't run very. Forget the defense. That's tragic. They don't run any real half-court offense. And I understand a lot of NBA teams don't, but if they're not in transition, if they're not getting something early and they have to face a set defense, they just look very disorganized to me. Uh, It may be because it's the first game and there are players that are playing that haven't played with each other. You know, Tyus Jones is actually a good player. Um, you know, and is a good point guard and is a guy that doesn't turn it over a lot. He's had one of the highest assist-to-turnover ratios in the NBA for for a few years now. But this is going to be a long year. And as far as the Koulibaly yeah. kid, I, you know, I couldn't tell from one look, game. Look, yeah. Yeah, it's his first It's his first NBA game. A few things, because I watched him closely. Yeah. Uh, and they brought him in early, pretty early in the game. Yeah, they did. And I don't know what his final minute I think they should start him. Was, but- if we're if we're really going for the future here, just start him and let him yeah, play I think, a lot of minutes every night. I think they could too because he played like a nineteen year old kid playing in his first NBA game. Yeah, I mean he he seemed lost. Uh, he seemed timid. Uh, not the kind of kid I heard about. You know, uh, when the ball would go up, he would take off. Okay, where they needed him under the basket to go chase the ball. You know, I'm watching it with my wife who. God, I don't know why she was watching him with me. And I said to her, because I'm not talking to anybody else, I said, if you don't know what to do, there's always one thing you can do. And that's go get the ball. Go get the ball. Well, that's more more football on defense. But I hear you. Yeah. Um, Go go to the board. Try to get the ball. I mean, he's got some height. You know, supposedly he's a good... And I think he had... had, I don't forget. I saw him sink a three-pointer. I saw him grab a couple rebounds. But at one point... When they're running down the court on defense, he's he's hopping down, fixing a sneaker. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. but it's the first game. You know, I'm I'm not down on him, but uh, this team, it, it's it's the same team from last year with two more assistant coaches on it in terms of defense. Yeah. Um, meantime, Porzingis was outstanding for the Celtics last mm-hmm. night in his debut. He's, he was. He played so well last year here. I mean, if he is healthy for a season, he's one of the best players in the league. I mean, he's yeah. not a top five player. Um, he's pro- he's not a top ten player, but you know what? He's probably a top 15 player in the league um, when he's healthy. I watched some of Wembenyana last night because that game was on ESPN following the Celtics-Knicks game, and... 
you know, again, one game, I mean, you can see the impact that he can have um, for sure. I mean, the dude is just big and long. I mean, certainly long and he's skilled, um, but it's going to take them all. Look, the NBA, Tommy, is an old person's league. Veteran teams with veteran players are the ones standing in May and June. It's not, they draft young players. The draft is a young person's game. The actual games are for veterans, you know, men. And eventually these young players will become men physically um, and otherwise. But it's, you know, people get so, you know, into the NBA draft. And then, you know, first night last night, like ESPN did a whole segment on the top five picks. None of these guys are going to impact winning for another five years. Minimum. Um, anyway. So I, I was looking at something before the show started. I wanted to see where the Eagles ranked in sacks coming into the game. The Because, you know, last week they played the team that was dead last in sacks, and they had six of them, the Giants. The week before that, they played the Falcons, who were way down near the bottom of the league in sacks. They had five. The week before that, they played the Bears, who were dead last in sacks, and they more than doubled their season total. And so the Eagles in sack totals for teams this year, remember some teams have played six games, but there's, and they've played seven. They are fourth in the league, or tied for third in the league at 24 with the Dolphins. The Ravens are one, the Bills are two. Of course, the Bills had nine in one game. (laughs) That was against Washington, too. So 24 sacks in seven games. All right, basically three and a half sacks per game. So my question to you, roughly, uh, over or under for Philly Sunday against Washington for sacks? Oh, I think the over-under is five. At least what the Giants got. I know. Well, the over-under would be put at five. Or five and a half, yes. no doubt. They're okay, average. Five and a half. They're gonna, are, will they do what everybody else has done, which is... Um, just what did they have against us in the opener uh, in in the first game? I think they had five against us in the first. Yeah, they had game. five. Yeah, um, yeah. Sam was sacked five times in the first one. Yeah, the over under is five and a half. The over under is five and a half. I'd go over. Yeah, I'd go over. And if it goes over again, I'm really going to be. I don't. I, I'm not even going to be angry anymore. I, I've had a. So that's your prediction over too, right? Yeah. Because wasn't my you yes. heard it here first last week that Sam Howe would be sacked three or less times? I think it was against the Giants. Like they were going to make a lot of progress with sacks. But they didn't. I don't remember exactly what that was. Yeah, because you don't listen to my you heard it here well, first. Well, no, I'm looking and then, for something at the same time. I can tell. That can it's tell. relevant to this discussion. Okay. okay. Did you find it? We, when we Before the season started, and this wasn't rocket science, but I said that teams were going to come after the quarterback all year mm-hmm. because they can't protect him. And it was, uh, yes, where you, is it? You, always looking for something to, to prove that you had said okay, something uh, early on where you're right. Carlos, Carlos Watkins uh-huh. in the first game after the Cardinals game. Quote, I mean, he basically gave the playbook for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
He said, uh, you know, we knew Sam Howell was a mobile quarterback. We wanted to contain him and keep him in the pocket. He also likes to hold the ball, so it's our job to get to him and make him uncomfortable. Our whole role up front is to disrupt the quarterback off his spot. I feel we did like a decent job of that today. So they knew going into the game right. what their mission was for this particular guy. And that hasn't changed since week one. <clears throat> right. Um, it hasn't changed, and it's not going to change Sunday. I think it is incumbent upon the offensive coordinator and the players to come up with a different plan. Uh, the plan, I thought, against Philadelphia in Philly and against um, the Falcons, and even at times against Chicago, um, I thought was a decent plan. I thought that the Buffalo game was the last time we were going to see consistent dropbacks. Now, yeah. the dropbacks were different, as we talked about earlier in the week on Sunday. They included more, you know, extra man protection. And then when they got to the second half, more, you know, in that max protection, um, you know, category. I just think at this point, like the emphasis or the obsession with whose fault is it on the sacks, O-line, Sam, coordinator, what we've seen is that the drop back, the pure drop back game for this team is not viable right now. And yeah. so what I'd like to see is a completely different approach. I don't care about pass run ratio. I don't care that Eric Bieniemy wants to throw it 3 to 1, you know, pass to run. In fact, they're not a good run blocking offensive line either. So no, there you go. No, they're not. Or else they I think they'd be running the ball, too. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. I think that this guy wants to be heavy pass-to-run ratio, and he's, you know, he is instilling a philosophy that he has um, you know, as part of the development of a young quarterback and, and the development of himself as a coordinator. Um, but I, I've just there's been so much talk this week about, well, Sunday, finally, it was the O-line's fault. Um, you know, Sam didn't – well, you don't know that, people. You don't know that. You know that the pressures were quicker, but you don't know that Sam wasn't responsible for handling protection pre-snap in a different way because it's my guess that some of those quick pressures were due to Sam moving the line in the wrong direction, handling protection poorly pre-snap. That's part of the job. He's gonna be. He's on. He's learning. I'm not killing him for it. I'm just saying at this point, it really doesn't matter about O line. Sam, Sam's protection calls. Sam holding on to it too long. The offensive coordinator has to minimize the opportunity for the other team. Whether the offensive line's a problem, whether protections have been miscalled, whether the quarterback's going to hold on to it too long, it's the offensive coordinator's job Sunday against Philadelphia to minimize the number of times that we have to evaluate why the sack happened. By getting the ball out of his hands immediately, screens, dashes, sprint outs, by the way, all kinds of screens, bubbles, traditional screens, 
more runs would be helpful because you can't get sacked when you run the football. But I don't want runs for runs' sake because runs that don't gain yard that don't gain yardage aren't helping you move the football. Understood. I want lots of the he hits that third step, the ball's out quickly. I I want some you know more boot, more what they call QB keeper. I don't want five and seven step drop. Certainly not with five man protection, not even with six man protection, and even their max protects don't work that well. If that's the offense that Eric Bieniemy is going to stubbornly, and I say the kind of offense because it's not the kind of offense, if he wants that to be a big part of his offense and he's going to be stubborn about it, we're going to continue to see a lot of these sacks. There should be a way, and I know not every sack has happened on pure dropback, and there was a sack or two on some of the quick stuff, but you've got to minimize the number of times that we're talking about these sacks and that the quarterback's getting sacked and getting hit. Got to design, which which he's done, he's done a couple of times, a pass offense that gets the ball out and out quickly. And if he can't do that or if he's too stubborn to do that or he doesn't see that that's the way it needs to work, then we're going to continue to have more conversations about him in the future. But I would like to see I think, that on Sunday. I think there's a, What they did there's in the second half. Here. Yeah. Two questions here. One is whose fault is it for the sacks happening? The other question is, whose responsibility is it to prevent the sacks from happening? Uh, I think it's the offensive line's fault for that the sacks are happening. I mean, because, because of the offensive line, if your offense can't run the offense that you want and you're now limited in your offensive abilities because of the limits of your offensive line, then, then that, that's their fault. I mean, you can't do what you want to do because the offensive line stinks. I know, but you, okay? you, so, you know. So that's their fault. But you know that it's that wasn't true before the Giant game. It's the responsibility of Eric Bieniemy to fix it. But in terms of fault, I would put him second. And I would put the quarterback third. But, Tommy, before. But you, can, you, can, you can try to bounce, dance, around, dance around this offensive line thing. They stink. They weren't very good last year. They're worse this year, and that's the problem. That, that keeps you from doing what you want to do. I don't think it's a good offensive line either. Okay, let me start with I, I don't get all – I mean, I understand there are a lot of people looking at a lot of the data, and there are a lot of people that will tell you even inside that building until Sunday that the offensive line wasn't the issue with a lot of it. When I watch the offensive line, I actually see what you see. I don't see a very good pass-blocking line, and I don't see a very good run-blocking line. But the truth of the matter is, Ron likes to say, prior to Sunday, PFF ranked it the eighth-best pass-blocking line in the league, and NextGen had it as the 13th-best pass-blocking line in the league in terms of time to pressure. And I... I, I sat here with you last week and I said, it doesn't appear that way to me. It does not appear that way to me. Sunday was a bit different, but again, be careful because 
some of those line protection calls were Sam's, I believe, and they were called incorrectly. And that left basically free runners at times or the matchups okay. that they didn't so, want. And that's, that's why case, I would put it on the that, coordinator right now, at least what happened if Sunday. That's the case, if that's the case, he must have been doing this all along, the line calls. It's not something that suddenly pops up but, you know, after, after a, a number of experienced games behind his belt. You haven't right. heard a peep out of anybody in the locker room about the idiot quarterback. All we hear from Sam Howe is how smart he is and how he never, never makes the same well, mistake twice. Be careful. We're talking about one game. We're talking, I'm talking about the Giant game because the Giant game was, in, was a different-looking game with respect to the sacks before even any sort of film evaluation or data coming out from anywhere. It was a different kind of game because the pressures were so much quicker. So it's possible that in line protection calls, he had done a good job through the first six games or a better job, and he had a rough day doing it on Sunday. Um, That's possible, too. It's also possible possible that the offensive line was just dreadful on Sunday. But, Tommy, of the 34 sacks prior to Sunday, because it's 40 now and there were six, um, you know, the majority of those sacks were attributed to Sam you know, not processing quickly enough and holding on to the ball too long. There was ample time in terms of time, you know, the, the time before pressure, time before he was hit to get the ball out. And I think that was something that looked correct in watching it. Sunday, I said it on Monday before any of the data or anything was out. I didn't think that that was, a, that, that was different. Sam didn't have much of a chance Sunday. So why did you keep dropping him back? Whether it was his fault on the line calls, whether it was the line blowing it, why did we keep going with dropbacks in the first half? We didn't. They didn't in the second half. Amazing. In the second half, first half, five sacks, 46 yards. Second half, we get more dashes, more sprint outs, more quick game, more medium and max protect, and it's 200-plus yards and one sack. So they he got there. The coordinator did eventually. And even if it were the players fucking it up in the first half, it was the coordinator's responsibility to say, they're fucking it up. I can't keep calling these same kinds of concepts. Doesn't matter how many people are wide open. Because that's the other thing that was a little bit noticeable. People were open on Sunday. They didn't have a chance, though. Right. I think we're going to see a completely different game plan Sunday. And when I say completely different, completely different from Sunday, because we saw differences against Philadelphia the first time coming off of the Buffalo game, you know, coming off of that, that Buffalo game was a game and, you know, in the Arizona game too, it's like, okay, we we're going to have to minimize the opportunities for a quarterback to get sacked and dropping somebody back five to seven dr- steps, you know, th- those medium d- to, to, to deeper drops, what, what th- they'll call pure drop back, you know, that means receivers are running medium to longer length patterns in most cases, and you're going to need more time. They don't do that well, so stop doing it unless you have to. 
understand on third and 10, third and 15, there's only one way to get the first down, and that is to drop your quarterback back and let the receivers get downfield. Understand. But even on third and seven, I'd be running more bubbles. I'd run draws. I'd run against, you know, nickel defenses or dime defenses. That's when maybe I'd try to run the football on third and six, third and seven. See, a lot of good teams do that. Essentially say, we're not good at dropping back. We're going to go ahead against your light box and your your six defensive backs out here, and we're going to run, you know, we're going to pitch it to our running back and run sweep and pick it up. Yeah, they they seem to have the running backs between the bull that Brian Robinson is and the slick open field runner that Gibson can be, that they could try to make, take that gamble. And Chris Rodriguez is the guy that I think they really like. He's the guy that I think is well, coming here. Um, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, either of the guys I mentioned can do those things. Yeah, they, I, they seem to be moving away from Gibson as a ball carrier, clearly. Rodriguez had seven carries, you know, Robinson Jr. eight. When Rodriguez has been up and he's on the field, he gets the ball. Uh, I think that they have liked him since they got him into camp and they've been wanting him to be a part of this. And I actually am very impressed with him as a runner. Um, I don't know that he will supplant Robinson Jr. as the primary ball carrier, but it would not surprise me if that happens. But, you know, they're using Gibson more in that third down role. Uh, trade deadline. What would, you, what would you like? It's not what would you like to see them do. If you were the GM here, would you be trading players by, month, by Tuesday? Yes. Who? Absolutely. Uh, well, what's interesting is, based on what the reports we've gotten, and there haven't been many, there's only been one, I think, maybe I'm wrong, that there's been interest in Chase Young, and T- and somebody has called no interest no, in Montez Sweat. Sweat. That was Nikki's. But uh, I haven't story. seen any reports about interest in Chase Young. Why is that? I guess other than the fact that we just don't know. The reporting has. I mean, Josine Anderson said that they had been um, teams had reached out about both of the players, and that there were teams interested in giving either one of them a long term deal. So it's not that you know there has been some reporting that there's been some interest in Chase Young. And I went through a lot of the uh, Fowler stuff and Graziano stuff and Josina Anderson stuff yesterday on yesterday's show, but there seems to be some interest in both players. But you're right, Nikki's uh, tweet specifically said there's been no – no one's reached out about Chase Young, and, but, but there, has, there have been teams that have reached out about, about Montez Sweat. Um, why would if that's what we know based on Nikki's reporting? That's Nikki's I would, reporting. I believe, right? I think she, I think she's closer to the to the, to the uh, situation. I know what you want to do, uh, so we'll just pretend that Nikki's report is the only one out there. That's what you want to do. So go okay. ahead and ask your question. It's alarming that more teams wouldn't be calling about Chase Young unless there's a book on him around the league that he's a problem. Okay, so you just answered the question, right? Um, I don't. Montez Sweat would be a more desirable choice uh, for teams to reach out for about than Chase Young. That, that that's a little bit eye opening. Yeah, if 
if you believe if, if we if we take Nikki's report as the only one rather and ignore all the other reports from Jeremy Fowler and Graziano and Josina Anderson that there's been interest in both players and we live just in the Nikki Javala world and I'm not saying that Nikki's wrong uh, and you're right Nikki's much closer to it um, and no one's called them or inquired about Chase Young. Well, that would be almost a second time. I mean, Washington put out feelers before the draft on Chase Young, and whatever they got back was not acceptable in terms of draft compensation. What you, th- There might be a book on him, as you said. There may be some concerns. My personal opinion is I would keep Chase Young. Maybe they don't have a choice. If they, you know, maybe they're in a position where they want to trade one of them because they have decided they're not going to sign both of them. And maybe the answer is really easy for them because nobody's interested in Chase Young. So they keep Chase Young and trade Montez Sweat. Maybe it'll just come down to that. I would keep Chase Young. I would do the opposite. I would keep Montez Sweat. I would trade Chase Young on the, I think, real possibility that since he's becoming. What appears to be good again on the field has turned in some good performances. The off-the-field branding issues may soon follow. And uh, I don't want to deal with that anymore because I don't think he's that much better, if he is better at all, than Montez Sweat. Uh, That juice, to me, isn't worth the squeezing. When I got a perfectly acceptable glass of orange juice right there at the other defensive end, and I've determined that I can't keep both. I I disagree, but I have a feeling that they agree more with you, meaning the team, or at least the current, you know, coaches and front office. Right. Uh, But I wouldn't trust them at this point. Anyway, this is where it's going to be really interesting to see what Josh Harris's involvement between now or between the last couple of weeks and Tuesday's deadline is. I mean, don't you think he should, you know, he's he's got to be involved in this. I mean, the future of the organization I think he's be. is and and I'd be I'd be where I'd be worried about it if he didn't have somebody else who's not in the building right. in his ear giving him advice. If he doesn't have that and it's just relying on the people in that building, then that's a problem. That is a problem, although, you know, a lot of what the coaching staff and the front office know about these players is important, too. You know, you can't... You include that information in your decision-making. Definitely. But you better have another voice. I agree. I agree. And I would imagine, you know, with sort of the future of the organization in his mind and the future being more likely one without the current group of football people there and an opportunity to, you know, acquire, you know, draft choices, you know, future players um, with players that could walk at the end of the year. Yeah, you've got to to do that. Like I I mentioned yesterday, one of the more troubling um, reports for me yesterday, I think came from Fowler, Jeremy Fowler, that Washington wanted to see what happened in games seven and eight. Ron made a little reference yesterday at the end of his presser um, about, you know, we'll have to wait and see, meaning, you know, on the trade deadline uh, after Sunday's game. So Sunday's game is a big game, apparently. If they win that, they're 4-4, four and four and they're right back in it in their own mind. 
Um, and they would be actually, uh, but we know how yes. we know how it'll end. Uh, all right. I wanted to get to a couple of other things that Ron said, including a comment about the offensive line and potential changes, as you were talking about earlier. Maybe you're going to get uh, some changes this week. We'll get Tommy's prediction on both the game and the World Series right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelley's. Well, as we've said numerous times, Shelley's is a great place to watch Thursday night football. Eight big screen, high definition TVs all around the two rooms that they have at Shelley's. And we've talked about their menu before menus of food, cigars, and drinks. Let's talk about their menu of customers. You know, Washington is a very diverse city, and you, you can find that diversity in those rooms at Shelley's Back Room. It's a real great mixture of customers there from all walks of life, all races, all, all you know, society uh, classes. It's a real great melting pot, okay, to enjoy these games with sitting side by side. That's the place you'll find. You want to look for Washington? You'll find it at Shelley's Back Room at 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. It's the best. Uh, Thursday night football tonight, college football, Virginia Tech's playing Syracuse, Buffalo, Tampa, and the NFL tomorrow night, the World Series. Uh, Sunday, of course, Washington and Philadelphia. Before we get to Tommy's prediction, Ron was asked yesterday about any offensive line changes, um, and he said that, yeah, there are a lot of things that we're discussing and talking about with things that can help us. I think a lot of people in you know, taking Ron's comments about changes to the offensive line, that they're looking at things right now, came to a conclusion that they may be considering something that Doc said on Monday's show. Tyler Larson for Nick Gates at center. Tyler Larson, the eight games that he started last year at center, they were 6-1-1. I had no idea. I just saw somebody put that out there. Um, But they re-signed Tyler Larson, remember, and, you know, he'd gotten injured. Uh, They signed Nick Gates. There's a possibility you could see something like Larson at center, Gates moving to guard, especially with Charles being a little bit uh, banged up. Um, But 
yeah, they're going to try things. And and Ron also mentioned with respect to sort of offense, you know, he's talked to Eric Bieniemy about some of the things that they are doing, um, and you know, specifically as it relates to the sacks. So. This is Eric Bieniemy's offense. He's got a lot of autonomy, but I think Ron has definitely. Um, I think it happened after the Buffalo game, and I think after Sunday, there have been some conversations about just what they're doing. Um, you know, uh, in terms of of the game plan and the play calling and and personnel. Clearly, I, I think some offensive line changes might be coming Sunday, it, and that would be my guess. Larson at center, maybe Gates moves to guard. We'll see. Uh, Tommy, what's your prediction on the game Sunday? Okay, first of all, I don't have a lot of confidence in their ability over there to do two things, think and discuss. Okay? <laughs> I, I don't have – that doesn't make me feel – Yeah, the thinking good. part for sure. Yeah. 32-19 to 19 Eagles. Uh, I think the Eagles are probably going to be a little be pissed off uh, from the last game and how they almost got beat by the commanders until they ran out, ran out of time. I think they're coming into their own and uh, you know still ready to play some of their best football to come. I think that's going to happen on Sunday. And FedEx Field is going to be a disaster because now Philly fans have nothing to distract their attention with the, with the Phillies out of the World Series. They'll be there, they'll be loud, they'll be green, and they'll be pissed off. You can't wait to see it. I can hear it in your voice. Sunday's no, going to be a disaster I, 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 at I think FedEx Field. Fun to have a stadium full of well, it's you know, not going to be that way Sunday. We know home that. fans. No, but I hate yeah. the hypocrisy. You know about people saying, "Oh, it's going to be sold out Sunday." Yeah, it may be sold out, but they won't be your fans. Not Sunday. No, that's true. Um, we, there was a true sellout for sure against the Cardinals. There was a well, they, yeah. all all of the games have been sold out. Although they, I did see them pitching for uh, tickets for the Giants game, which is the next home game. But you had a legitimate sellout with Washington fans, first time in a long time. That was a great scene um, for the opener. Yeah. We were both there. The Bills game, there was. was there was a lot of Buffalo in the crowd for that one. Surprisingly, from what I heard, there was a lot of Chicago in the crowd for the Thursday night a game. A lot of Chicago. Um, and we are going to see the takeover on Sunday. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, that fan base has no qualms about traveling down here. There's no issue in getting tickets in the past, and uh, they love it. They, they Philadelphia Eagle fans love coming into FedEx Field and turning it into the link, turning it into a home field advantage. Um, 32 to 19. Same thing at Nats Park. They do the same thing at Nats Park. Yeah, well, okay. That arch rivals, those Philly fans, those Phillies are arch rivals. God, I, I, I went off on that yesterday. I've, I've had enough of people telling me that I can't root for, the, for Bryce Harper and Trey Turner because the Phillies are arch rivals. Shut up. You're trying way too hard. They're not arch rivals. Nobody in Philadelphia thinks that because they tried to block Philly fans from buying tickets several years ago that they're an arch rival. Stop. You're trying too hard. Uh, I want your World Series prediction, and I want your reaction to the Phillies going down. I had Zook on the uh, show yesterday. We talked about the... um, the Phillies losing those two games, Houston losing those two games. We'll get to Tommy's prediction on uh, the World Series right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
This final segment of the show is brought to you by MyBookie. They are offering all of my listeners, all of Tommy's listeners on this podcast, a 110% cash bonus on your initial deposit. It's available through Sunday. I think this is it. This is your last chance to more than double your money with MyBookie using my promo code KevinDC. That's MyBookie promo code KevinDC. $50 minimum, $1,000 maximum. You deposit $1,000, you'll have $2,100 in your account to gamble with. Uh, They've got the fairest point spreads, fairest pricing. This is a place that you should use even if you have a place. Take the free money. MyBookie.ag promo code Kevin DC for a 110% cash bonus on your initial deposit. Uh, after going 10-1-1 last weekend, Tommy, on the smell test, I do not have wow. any selections for tonight. Uh, I looked at Tampa. A lot of you uh, reached out to me to say you're going to have Tampa in the smell test. I think Tampa definitely is the anti-public side, but there's sharp money on Buffalo uh, tonight as well. That's why the line has gone from eight to eight and a half at my bookie. Might climb to nine, so no Thursday night picks. Uh, I'll have a full uh, smell test on tomorrow's show. Ten, one, and one. If you see Kevin out on the street this weekend, he's buying. Okay. Um, yeah, but the problem is the week before they were buying. <laughs> Actually, they should be buying for me this week. I should be buying for them last week because I did not help them the week before. But it was a very good week um, for sure. All right, tell me about the World Series and who you like. Well, I mean, uh, you know, as much as I, I really have fallen in love with the talent uh, of, of the Diamondbacks and the way they play, experience counts a lot. You know, none of these guys really have any postseason experience, maybe except for Longoria, uh, whereas the Rangers have Corey Seager. They've got Max Scherzer, who has not necessarily been a great postseason pitcher. And they've got Bruce Bochy in the dugout, who's, I think, on his way to winning his fourth World Series. So I'm going to go with the Rangers, but I think it's going to come down to seven games again. Uh, Texas, I think, has home field advantage. I think the last two games will be in the Rangers' home park. Uh, And I think it'll be a fun, competitive series with the Rangers coming out on top. The Phillies, uh, they were betrayed by some of their big bats. I tell you what, what you saw was the Trey Turner who struggled for most of the year. Yeah, He had some of the worst at-bats I've ever seen. I mean, he went down once. Uh, on three pitches, three pitches, none of which were a strike. Like all three of them out you of know, the strike he, zone. All three of them. Yeah, he he was he was flailing away and not swinging did not seem to be an option to him. No. So he, I mean, you know, Harper and Castellano, they all went cold in the Schwarber. last couple of games, but yep. Turner was the worst. He he was definitely the target for Philadelphia sports talk radio because I was. Uh, seeing on on Twitter, you know, yesterday and last night, it was Turner who was really the guy that they got after. I thought they would go after Harper and Schwarber a little bit, maybe Harper, but they were in the spot they were in, in part because of Harper and Schwarber. Um, and there's, you know, yeah. still some recognition of last year getting to the World Series because of of Harper's brilliance. But I was disappointed, like when he got up in the bottom of the seventh. 
Um, and, you know, by the way, that was uh, after uh, it, it, Trey Turner ba- basically swung at two pitches out of the strike zone and then and then flew out. I'm, you know, that was, that was not the, the yeah. down on three. I think it was the previous at bat. But when he came up with two men on, two out in a 4-2 game, I expected something big. I did. And, you know, he he had a pitch, and he just didn't get it. And the inning before, or the at, that bat before, it was right there, and he, he took that one to the warning track, and it was close. But he was just a little bit off. And, Tommy, I said this. Like, I, I, I'm a big Harper fan. I've talked about this a lot. It's annoyed some of you, so what? But the bottom line is that until you are part of a champion – the biggest moment is still out there. And 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 Tuesday night was the biggest moment. It was his first game seven. When I say, well, it was the Phillies' first game seven ever in the franchise's history. It was his first game seven in Philly, and it was right there for heroics in an at-bat with two men on and two out in the bottom of the seventh. Yeah. And, he, and he did not deliver, and he was 0 for 7 yeah. over the final two games. 0 for 7. So, yeah. What I mean, what brought them there also brought them down, but they they are not a manufacturing run team. No. Are you excited about the World Series? Like, do you? Yeah, are, I am. You I'm, are. I, the Diamondbacks have me excited. Okay. But I didn't know hardly anything about them. You know, they play out in the West. I didn't pay much attention to them. You know, I don't cover the team every day like Zuckerman does. So uh, there's a lot I didn't know about them. We've got some, a lot of good young players. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But people talk about the TV ratings. They need to gain a whole new perspective about that. There's football, and then there's everything else. Yeah. And on most nights, you're, it, it, it's going to be pretty likely that the highest-rated show on network television, if football's not on, it's going to be the Baseball World Series. Okay. It's down from what it used to be, but still most nights, it outdraws everything else on network TV. I'm going to be watching. I, I, I've enjoyed the postseason. I always enjoy the postseason. I'm going to watch this. Look, if it's up against football, you know, it's going to be harder. I but know. I, I'm going to be paying attention yes. to it. You're a Hall of Fame baseball voter. I would expect that you will be uh, very much uh, tuned in to every single pitch of the World Series. I think that's part of your duty. Thank you, boss, for for your orders you just gave me. Well, I mean, I had to bring you back from vacation to to cover you know <laughs> to cover the football team for a big column uh, w- about the ownership change. All right, um, we're done for the day. I'll be back tomorrow. See you, Tommy. See you, boss. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.